0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: Jesus said that if we are merciful, then we'll receive mercy. And the way that we judge is the way that we're going to be judged. And I believe the most important thing for you, me, the most important thing that God wants out of our behavior is the way we treat other people.
0: If we are truly living the words we read in the Bible... Then we are going to treat those around us with the love and mercy that can only come from the power of God's word working inside of us. We open up today in First Peter chapter two as we explore the power of God's word. Here's Robert Furrow.
1: Father, we want to thank you. We are really blessed to be able to be here today, and we do enter into your courts with thanksgiving, and we've already entered in with praise exalted you and lifted you up. We pray that you would bless our time in your word here today. By the power of your spirit, speak to us and prepare us that we can have a good heart, a right heart that could receive the life-changing power of your word. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. God has given us His Word that we would be thoroughly equipped. Everything that I need as a Christian in order to live the life that God wants me to live, I find in the pages of Scripture. God's word is dramatically life-changing. It says in Hebrews four twelve that God's word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It actually gets inside of us and does a work in us. It's active. It doesn't just get in there and do a little bit but it's active because God stands behind his word. And if we get a hold of something that he has said and we say, I believe this and I'm gonna trust it and I'm gonna live by it, then it gets inside of us and it makes radical changes. In fact, I believe that if you're struggling with addictions or, or problems that perhaps you would think I need to go to a psychiatrist for, I believe that finding out what the word of God has to say about your addiction or what the word of God has to say about your struggle is really the way to be set free. And it's not that I'm anti-psychologist or anti-psychiatry, although I guess to some degree I am, but not completely. Uh, I'm really glad I, I know some in this town, good Christian psychologists by the real term, not just Christians who practice psychology, but they are Christians who practice psychology who go to the Bible to be able to find out, to help people really get an understanding of what's going on in their mind when things just take off in a wrong direction. And that does happen. But I believe that the Word of God is the most powerful. It's the most powerful of anything that we can bring into our lives that brings the greatest transformation. In fact, I believe it's very difficult to change without the Word of God. But when the Word of God comes into our life, it's almost like there has to be a life-threatening, life-changing event in order for there to be something that would really change us from the inside. But God's Word does it differently. It gets inside of us. And it begins to work on us, and it begins to grow, and it begins to mature. And Jesus said, if the word of God can fall upon a good heart, it will produce 30, 60, and 100-fold. That is, that it will do such a work inside of you that it is a crop that will produce in your life and make you into the man and the woman that God wants you to be. Not just the man or the woman uh, that you want to be, but the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And that God's word is able to get down inside of us where nobody else can get. I I am persuaded, it's hard for us to analyze ourselves. It's hard for us to understand what's going on inside of our own brains. And if we can really look at God's Word and bring it into our lives, there will be an incredible transforming power that takes place. And and, uh, Peter, at the end of chapter 1, has spoken of this transforming power, the Word of God. And he says in verse 23 of chapter 1, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. How powerful is God's word? By receiving God's word and believing his word, you can be transformed, born again. You you can be removed, as, as Jesus would say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, having your feet moved from the sand and placed upon the rock. You could come out of the darkness and into light. You could come out of death and into life you will enter in and gain eternity, eternity with Him, moving from destruction to life by the very power of God's Word. And the truth of God's Word is what radically changes individuals. And I believe that any church that makes what they do, the center of what they do, the Word of God, I believe that their people will be transformed and empowered. It just can't but happen, because sooner or later, it's going to fall upon good soil. So writing to those who are born again, he says, you guys have been born again by the incorruptible word of God, which abides forever. It's never going to go away. It's never going to change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same principles that brought us to Christ today will still be around in 100,000 years and a million years as we enter into eternity. And then he says, because all flesh is as grass and all glory of men as the flowers of the grass, the grass withers and the flowers falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. God stands behind his word. He's established it. We don't have to worry about God changing his mind. All of a sudden saying, you know what? I don't really want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. You might have to worry about me changing my mind because I change my mind sometimes. I have to worry about you changing your mind because you change your mind sometimes. But God doesn't change his mind. God stands by his word. And and when we think about what is it about God's word, it's not this mystical, magical thing where if I speak God's word over you, it's like some kind of, I don't know, tinkerbell dust that falls on you and changes you. It's that God has given us his word and he said that he would use his power to enforce what the word of God says. So when the Bible says in Philippians chapter four, be anxious about nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. It's a promise for the anxious person that you can have the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. You can do that by bringing your request before God. Anxiousness is a signal to me that I begin to pray. Begin to go before the Lord in thankfulness and begin to pray for him that the peace of God would move in our lives. And it's not that God has put something out there that you get a hold of, some magical spell that you get a hold of. It's that God stands behind his word. And if we go to him with a thankful heart, and we go to him and ask him to intervene on what we're anxious about, then the peace of God moves in our lives because God's power is behind it. That's what makes God's word so powerful, and it abides forever. Well, the reason that I went back a few verses before we went on into chapter two, because that's where we are, we covered this last week, and some of you guys might well be saying that right now, isn't this kind of how you ended the message last week? Yeah, pretty much. But you see there in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, therefore. So he really had to go back a little bit to get the therefore. Because you, you got to have a setting for the first three verses in chapter 2. You got to know that he's talking about the word of God. Because you have already been born again by the word of God. Because God's word doesn't fade away and because it will abide forever. Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. He wants us to take some things and lay them aside. The Bible tells us in other places that we are to take off the flesh and put on Christ. The idea that there might be things in my life that I'm catering to, that I still have going on, that could be hindering the work of the word of God in me. Jesus spoke of four different kinds of soil that are four different kinds of hearts. There is the hard heart. As powerful as the word of God is, as life transforming as God's word is, it won't penetrate the heart of someone who has a fallow heart. The heart has to be softened. And if you know someone that is just just hard towards God, that needs to have their heart softened, then rather than just continuing to throw the word of God at them, it might be good to back away and pray. Pray. Pray that God would break up the heart. Pray that God would do a work, that there would be something that would allow their heart become ready to receive God's word. Jesus spoke of a rocky ground, that the word shot up quickly, but was choked out by the rocks. He spoke of weedy ground that was choked out by the cares and the worries of this world. You give your life to Christ, you begin to follow him, but the cares and the worries of you know, making ends meet and just kind of life's difficulties get in the way. And choke out God's word. But if it can fall on a good heart, then it can produce 30, 60, or 100 fold. Now, what Peter does here is help us to understand some of those things that can be hindering the life changing power of God's word inside of me. And so he gives us five different things that he wants us to lay aside. The word malice is the word for evil, and it's the word for evil towards an individual. Jesus said that if we are merciful, then we'll receive mercy. And the way that we judge is the way that we're going to be judged. And I believe the most important thing for you, me, the most important thing that God wants out of our behavior is the way we treat other people. And if we are malicious towards people, If we have an evil intent, we just want to see someone hurt. We want to tear them down. We have hatred and anger and bitterness towards them. Just that malice inside that stops the word of God from really being able to penetrate because we're not serving him and following him out of sincerity. Sincerity is when you say, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want, wherever you want me to go and whatever you want me to do, And if you don't want me to be hateful and you don't want me to be full of malice and you don't want me to be full of envy, then I'm an open book. Do your work within me. As you lay those things aside and open up yourself to God, then God begins to do the work. But if you have evil uh, malice towards individuals, it's gonna stop the word of God from penetrating and doing what it needs to do. So he says, lay aside all malice and then all deceit. This word for deceit. It's a word that was used for a fishing hook. One pastor said that there's nothing more deceitful than a fishing hook. You bait it up and you stick it out there promising the fish to give them something to eat only to eat them. You've sent it out just to get as a promise of something they can gain only to devour them. That's this kind of deceit. We don't want to be deceitful individuals. We want to be honest and we want to be real. And we don't want to deceive someone, manipulate someone. We want to be able to Just trust in God. Hypocrisy, laying aside all hypocrisy. That's pretending that you are someone who you're not. We all know that the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek word for actor. They get up on stage and they would hold little masks in front of their face. They would pretend that they were someone that they were not. In fact, Jesus kept his strongest words for the religious hypocrites. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. I think it's Matthew 23 he says that I don't know how many times as he gives them the harshest words. And if he gives the harshest words to hypocrites, the last thing that you and I want to be as honest, real followers of Jesus, it's hypocrites. We don't want to stick our nose in the air. We don't want to pretend that we're closer to Jesus than we are. We just want to be real. We just want to serve Jesus and really follow him and find out what he wants for us. We want to humbly be used by him instead of being full of hypocrisy. The last thing that we want to be is like the Pharisees who just saw themselves. They dressed up in certain ways so that people would see them and think, my, you are a spiritual individual. My, you must really love the Lord. And they loved it. Jesus said, you guys love having people call you rabbi, having people call you teacher. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy, envy envying what someone else has and all evil speaking, the word there is just slander. If I'm right, and I think that I am, that what God cares about you the most is how you're treating people. I mean, as you study Exodus and Leviticus, when you get into the law, there's so much in the law about the way that we treat one another. There's a section in the book of Exodus that is kind of, really, it's it's the law in two chapters. It's a set of precedents in our legal system there are libraries full of books that set precedence. When you can just go to the book of Exodus and you find two chapters of precedence. It's things like this. If a man borrows his neighbor's donkey and the donkey dies while the man has the donkey, then, and I don't remember whose donkey, whose fault it was at that point, if it was the guy that sent it over and there's some stipulation in it. But there's two chapters of that kind of stuff that we read and find a difficult time finding application because we go, well, I don't have a donkey. The last time a donkey's died in my possession, I don't remember. So I'm not too concerned about it. But God was doing that for precedent for legal things. But at a certain point in that passage, God says, and if you take advantage of the poor, then I will come against you. He was talking about what they should do when someone mistreated their neighbors. But then he says, if you go after the widows and the fatherless and you take from them, then I will come against you. God literally says, I am going to come against you. I think of the proverb that says, if you lend to the poor, I will repay, God says. Not only does God warn against doing it, but God says, if you reach out to the poor, I'll repay. That's another great example of how God's word works as it transforms us. If you have laid aside all of these things and you honestly, sincerely want to follow God and you get rid of hypocrisy in your life and you get rid of deceit and you get rid of slander, and you lay all those things aside and you read God's word and it says, when you give to the poor, God will repay, God will repay. The next time you run into someone who's poor, you're looking for a way that you can help them. Knowing, you know what? God said that he would repay. And you give God an actual opportunity to do that. Even when you give beyond what is your ability to be able to give, God still meets you there because that's God's word. So one of the 10 commandments is not thou shalt not lie. When people list the 10 commandments, inevitably they list thou shalt not lie as one of them. That's not one of the 10 commandments. Did you know that? it's okay for you to tell your wife that that's a pretty dress. I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that. Me and, uh, me and Pat have an ongoing discussion about those kind of things. The midwives in Egypt who lied about the male babies being born. Rahab who lied about the spies not being in her home. I mean, you could just go through the scriptures and you can find it. I'm not saying that the lies are justified. I'm just saying They're there. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. You guys argue about it, figure it out later. I'm just saying it's there. What God really cared about in the Ten Commandments was not a lie. What God cared about was false witness, bearing false witness. When I look at you and I say, that's the person that stole it when they didn't steal it. Then they get arrested and thrown in jail when they didn't steal it. Or when you say something about somebody that's not true. You say something about your son-in-law. Or you say something about your mother-in-law that's not true. And to you, you might go, hey, it's okay that I say that about her. But in reality, it's something that really upsets God. So we put all kinds of evil speaking, all kinds of slanderous speech. The Bible talks about one of the seven things that God hates is a man who divides brethren. Somebody that just comes in and builds contention up between people, between individuals. It's one of the seven things that God hates is somebody that just brings division. But God loves the peacemaker. God honors the person who's a peacemaker, the Bible tells us. So if we could put all of these things aside, then that's part of it. We take that off, come to him in a sense of sincerity where we can honestly say to him, Lord, I really do wanna serve you. I wanna follow you. I wanna be your child. I don't wanna pretend. I wanna be honest about all the aspects of my life. Speak to me and I'll obey. I just want to know what you want to know. If we can do that, then as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. How do newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word? Babies are interesting. God has, they're, they're beautiful. They're wonderful, by the way. I'm going to talk a little bad about babies now, but I just want you to know that I love babies, Okay. We've got a couple grandchildren. I got a new grandchild that's on the way. Can't wait to see him, you know. I love babies. They're great. But God has given babies this set of lungs and this vocal cord that when Jessica was born, my oldest, and I held her, first of all, her eyes were just as big and brown as they could be. And when I looked into her eyes, it was like... At that moment, she wrapped me around her little finger, or you know, and, and whatever she wanted. The rest of her life, even up to this day, I would do for her. But she opened up her mouth and started to scream and didn't stop for like a year and a half. <laughs> so much so that when Lisa told me that she was pregnant with our second child, with uh, with David, I said to her, "My life is over," <laughs> because I couldn't imagine having two of them things around. So. Uh, a baby cries, and when it's screaming, they're, they're fairly easy to take care of. There's basically three things that could be wrong. It's hungry, it's uncomfortable because it needs to be changed, or something serious, which you hope it's not something serious. But when a baby gets hungry, he doesn't care where he's at. He doesn't care that you're trying to have dinner. just starts to scream and wants the milk. And if he doesn't get the milk... He's going to make everybody else's life miserable until he gets the milk. It's so the mom gets up and takes the baby back and feeds the baby because the baby desires the pure milk of the word of God. So here, Peter says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. He doesn't say you who are newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. He says as Newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. In other words, it's an analogy to all of us. It's for those of you who have just come to Christ, that you would have a hunger, a desire to know God's word. I tell you, I love when I I think about a group of people that love to hear God's word, I think of you guys. I think of the group, you know, the crowd that we got for the book of Leviticus. Not just the first chapter, by the way. Because the first seven chapters are pretty easy, actually. It's when you get past that that it gets tough. But going all the way through the book, and as excited as people were for the book, I think people are more excited about Leviticus than they were about 1 Peter, to be honest with you. And I love that. I love the desire. It's like every pastor's dream to teach to a body of people that just want to hear the Word of God, that want the Word of God taught to them, that desire to hear it. And I think that you guys have it. But it doesn't mean that we don't stop and sit back and evaluate. What are our greatest desires? What are the greatest desires in our lives? And if we as newborn babes are going to desire the pure milk of the word, can, do you desire the pure milk of the word as a baby desires that mother's milk? Where, you know, above all else, I'm going to get it. God's word. Jesus said of the word of God, man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. The Bible says that God's word is life. I think it is far more powerful, far more needed, far more important to our everyday walk with Christ than we really can can understand and imagine. We can exist on it. It's far more important to you than your daily bread. Now, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I don't think that we, without a desire for God's word, I mean, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to hear God's word, study God's word, preach God's word, hide God's word in our heart. The Bible tells us a lot of different things that we're supposed to do, but all of those things that follow this become easier if we, like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word. If we say, above all else, I'm going to make sure that I bring God's word into my life daily. Like newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Now, the little phrase there at the end of the word is not really there. The word means spiritual, like newborn babes desire the pure. I don't know how to put this in a sentence without the word, the word in there. um, Without the pure spiritual that. You may grow thereby. But because the context is the Word of God, they clarified it because it's so hard to put into the English. And I think, I, I don't know if you remember if it's the NIV or the ESV, but one of them puts it in a way where it leaves the Word out of there. Because the idea here is, is spiritual growth that comes from the Word of God. I think they're 100% proper in putting desire the pure milk of the Word. Because that's the context of what we're studying all the way back into chapter one. Therefore, we lay aside these evil desires and envy and hypocrisy. And we desire, the, like newborn babes, the pure milk, the pure desire to be spiritual. And I think the pure milk of the word is the right way to put this.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8:30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7:15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our facebook page and youtube channel our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If practical Christian living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.